pray. O Lord, our God, we are gathered here for your purposes. It's the middle of summer. I don't even know if I've ever stood in this pulpit in the second week in August. And people are winding down and winding up simultaneously. And we're asking for your spirit to be especially nourishing for us today. Because the possibilities for distraction are endless. And we come to you now asking for clarification about who you are and what it means to love you. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you have a hard time with this or not. But do you actually believe that it is impossible to get a restart? Or do you tend to believe that once we are set in stone, we are set in stone and there's nothing really that we can do to change? And I want you to know that such an emphasis in Christ's life and the way he came across to people is that we can be made new, we can have a new self, we can have a new self every day. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit residing within us. We become new and we discover that the old ways, the old attitudes are no longer acceptable or desirable. And it doesn't matter who we are. The greatest saint has areas in their life that God is working on with them. I don't know if you ever read any of Mother Teresa's work, but she was so, so very cognizant of her sinfulness and that is what made her a saint. And this passage is specific about what to include and what to avoid in the new attitude, in the new self that is emerging in our walk with Jesus Christ. But before looking at this passage, let me give a framework. There is a word, and it's not a bad word, and it doesn't need to be altogether avoided but it's used so generally it has become bland and has lost meaning and it's overused and especially it's prevalent in American Christianity. And I was actually led to avoid this word growing up because it was so bland it was meaningless, robbing us of the ability to use precise language. So there's a story about it and you'll know what the word is soon enough about the Grand Canyon. Two people were asked to describe the Grand Canyon independently. And the first person said, the Grand Canyon was magnificent when I saw it. It took my breath away. The combination of colors, the rust color of the rocks, the green of the fir trees, the blue of the sky, the white of the clouds left me breathless. There were crags, there were holes, it was raw, it was deep, it was huge. I still have pictures of it in my mind, and he went on and on and on. Then he went away, and the next person sat down, and they said, what did you think of the Grand Canyon? And she said, it was nice. And that's the word, nice. I was told to avoid it like the plague, because it means nothing. And I don't know if that is completely true. 
but the definition is pleasant, agreeable, satisfactory, good. The word doesn't have enough substance to even use in our conversations regarding Christ because Christ was so much more than nice. And the world he came in to save us. He came to save us in this world that is not nice. And he came with the power and the grandeur and the beauty of the Grand Canyon. And these attributes in Ephesians are not about being nice at all. There is a far better word. It's a God word. It's the major Old Testament description of God. And it sounds like two words, loving kindness. But the way it was used and putting together, it's a kindness that is so filled with love that it has guts and power and courage. Loving kindness is such a powerful word that this word, when it's acted out, can actually carve the Grand Canyon. Christ introduces loving kindness into the world of his being. And our new selves are about kindness. We are to be concerned, caring, considerate, affectionate, but we are to love powerfully. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood. This is what Ephesians says. And speak truthfully to his neighbor. The beginning statement for today. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. And you might be amazed at how many people look at this passage and see, speak truthfully to his neighbor and assume that its only meaning is that we are to point out our neighbor's shortcomings. We don't know what's going on with our neighbor. We are commanded to judge not. Judge not, Jesus said, and we do not really know what is in another person's mind, and that gets us in more trouble than just about anything else in the community of Christ. Thinking we actually know what's going on in someone else's head, the Holy Spirit does give us brief and quick insights and glimpses, but we cannot mind read. By saying the truth to our neighbor, we speak the truth about ourselves so that they can be free. And part of the humility needed for unity that we talked about last week is that we need to know to every person we meet, I cannot lord it over you because I'm too much of a sinner myself. And that's the truth. Put off falsehood. Put off false selves. Speak truth in love and speak truth in kindness. Then the passage addresses the issue of anger. In your anger, do not sin. First of all, it's acknowledged that people do get angry, and often for good reason. Cruelty, violence, innocent victims incite anger. When I first heard about the beautiful, majestic African lion named Cecil, a lion who is part of a diminishing species, a lion that many people go and see on safari every year and learn that he was killed by a trophy hunter, skinned and beheaded to be stuffed and mounted. 
I don't know about you, but I had immediate anger. There was something that caught my gut that said, this is outrageous, that something this beautiful would be killed. But then craziness emerged. I don't know if you noticed it. Craziness. And there were people who were saying, you know, we need to execute the killer of the lion. He needs the death penalty. And that is such a perfect and precise example of anger that has gone into sin. We don't know. We can be angry, but do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold, the scripture continues. Every person who's living and breathing and who has relationships can find reasons to be angry. Angry with our circumstances, angry with our money situation, angry with our kids, angry with our loved ones, angry with our work. It isn't anybody can do that. The new attitude in Christ says just let go of it and replace it with kindness. And I've seen people become almost unrecognizable when they let go of their anger. And I think I told you about this because it was during Christmas that I was in Manhattan with my niece. And she's always been a pretty and kind girl. But something happened with her where her face became soft. And she could be completely in the moment. And she had energy that I've never seen in her before. And I said, what is going on with you? And she said, I have let go of my anger. Even the anger about my parents when they divorced. The passage continues. And it says things like, work with your hands. Be productive. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helping for building people up. And that is the theme, building people up. And the best way to build a person up is to be honest about your own frailty. So people will feel like, I am not alone. We are so much in this together. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Anything that we do that leads to a person's separation from the community of Christ and separation from Christ causes a person to sin and that grieves the Holy Spirit. But really, what is at the core of this is our inadvertently giving off misinformation about God that really grieves the Holy Spirit if we somehow give people the impression that God condemns people for making mistakes that God expects perfection, that grace isn't real. Grief. The Holy Spirit knows grief. And when you think about a Christ who died for our sins in order that we can receive grace, and his church and every church, people just in their casual thoughtlessness, taking away that biggest prize, the biggest part of grace is you are loved exactly the way you are. You do not have to earn the love. I do not have to earn the love. But it is so easy to lose sight of the greatest gift. God's love is kind. Our new Christ-given attitude 
stems from the realization that we are deeply and powerfully and ceaselessly forgiven. Then the passage is quite explicit. It says what to get rid of. Get rid of the rage. Get rid of the brawling. Get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of every form of malice. Be kind, it says in Scripture. Be kind, compassionate, just as Christ has forgiven you. But how? Willpower alone won't do it. Ask any AA 12-step person. Intention alone, while it is very good and very necessary, won't do it. Transformation comes from a decision within to go to the higher power, the living God. I want to tell you that the belief that I had to be nice almost kept me away from Christianity forever. And I know that sounds very strange, but I thought that in order to be a Christian, I was permitted to have, oh, maybe two emotions, happiness and serenity. And God gives us a lot more emotions than that. And I thought it meant being kind of quiet and maybe kind of passive. And I misunderstood completely. God, in transforming us, transforms us into powerhouses of love. And sometimes that looks nice, but most of the time it looks powerfully kind. Remember, we're called to be ourselves and to be kind. Pretending everything is nice is a lie. In our nitty-gritty world, we're called to exhibit the love of Christ and God's loving kindness. We are what we spiritually consume. We are, in a very real way, what we eat. What we consume and feed on will either transform us with Christ or embitter us. And I guess that there's a middle ground that looks like stagnant apathy. Feed off the bread of life, Jesus said. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. And in some mysterious way, Christ meets, needs, and fills us. Feed on his love. Every moment we give to him, whether it's prayer or reflection or the word or just thinking about him, expands to fill us. And on the other hand, thinking about spending time with whatever it is that makes us angry, stokes the flames of bitterness and has an addictive quality. Consumed with anger and bitterness and malice actually pushes out the Holy Spirit and when his fruits of peace and comfort and long-suffering are rejected, he is grieved. Make no mistake, he is grieved. But we can choose thoughts that renew. And we can choose truths about God that nourish our spirit. From Philippians, whatever is pure, whatever is of good repute, whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things, for these things are the things of God, the loving kindness of God. Let us pray.
this isn't a laundry list of ways to be so we can be perfect. This dear Lord and precious Savior is a response to our internalizing the truth about you. Your grace, when it is internalized, we want to extend it to other people. Show us as much as we can about who you are, for you have work for us to do in our own lives and in this place and in reaching out. We thank you for what you have done